the author of the book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, says to cry is human, but to lament is Christian. And of course, he's obviously playing on the old expression, to err is human, and to forgive is divine. To cry is human, to lament is Christian. But may I be so bold as to suggest that to cry is human and to lament is divine. In what ways can we be said that God laments? Well, will you turn with me to Psalm 22, please? Psalm 22. I thought it was striking as it was observed by more than one person that the Lord had us meditating in the Psalms this morning, and that is continuing now with Psalm 22. A Psalm of David, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh, my God. I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They wag the head saying, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. Yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breasts. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Be not far from me. For trouble is near, for there is none to help. Verse 19. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O you, my help, hasten to my assistance. Deliver my soul from the sword, my only life, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild oxen. You answer me. I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you descendants of Israel, for he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him for help, he heard, from you comes my praise in the great assembly. I shall pay my vows before Those who fear him, the afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. We, the last time we were together, examined the book of Lamentations, and we considered the nature of biblical laments, where the previous messages were anchored in the experience of God's chosen people, his old covenant people, Today, we want to explore once again what it means to lament as a Christian. And of course, the bridge between the old and the new is, of course, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, as he said himself, did not come to break or destroy the law, but to fulfill it. 
And of course, it is obvious that as the Lord Jesus was hanging on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins, this psalm was reverberating through his mind. And it was this psalm that he cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what can we learn from this simple yet gut-wrenching expression of David and of the Lord Jesus? Well, that God certainly wants us to lament. For to cry is truly human, but to lament is divine. When we consider the elements of biblical lament, and when I I wanted to take a moment again, if you want to uh, dig deeper into this subject, I recommend Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. Um, And the author kind of explores the elements of biblical lament. And we're going to take a look at some of those things this morning. But one of the things that I want to be upfront about in terms of examining this issue is that I'm a concrete kind of guy. I like things linear. I like things concrete. I like to have like four steps or 12 steps. I like to have a formula that I can follow. And if I get the formula right, everything will work just fine. But that's not the way life is. And that's not, certainly that's not the way grief is. And so when we talk about this and we think about this, I don't want us to think of this as like a a, a four-step program, okay? But rather, in the context of biblical lament, we're going to find these four things present. It's interesting because the Psalms, when you read them, are frustratingly structured in a way that we would, would not imagine. In other words, they bounce between a lament and praise. And while there are cert- it's certainly true that there are some psalms that are just devoted to praise, we often find that when we're reading the psalms, it's wonderful, it's great, it's beautiful, we're praising the Lord. And then there's like this expression of sorrow and despair and, and longing. And like, oh, well, that's an interruption in the thought. But it's not really, because that's how life is. That in every joyous moment, there's a tinge of sadness. And in every sorrow, there is hope. And so as we go through the Psalms, we find that expression, we find that that kind of, of, of a mixture, if you will, of both joy and sorrow, gladness and heaviness present in many of the Psalms. And it doesn't always follow a nice, neat little formula. It doesn't always follow in like a, you know, like a, a structure that we can say, well, here's the four-step program. Even in Psalm 22, clearly the second half of the psalm is much brighter and much more hopeful than than the first half. And we can see that. And we can see that that there's that development in this psalm where at moments, for example, he starts out by saying in verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he says in verse 3, yet you are holy. And he rehearses all these wonderful truths about God. But then in verse 6, he says, but I am a worm and no man. And so we want to understand that when I when I walk us through some of these ideas, that we don't want to think of it as a formula, as much as, as we want to think of it as like the four legs of a, of a table. We understand that a three-legged table is a lot less stable than a four-legged table. A four-legged table is, has great stability. And so in this regard, we want to think of these elements as like the legs of 
of, of, of a table, this table called lament. And of course, what we want to appreciate and understand is that lament has a purpose. Lament has a goal. And what is the goal? Is it just to be therapeutic? Is it just to, you know, a catharsis for me to unload my, my grief, my sorrow, my, my, the burdens of my heart? Or is there something else going on here in biblical lament? And, and what we find in the scriptures and we find in the Psalms is that the purpose of the lament is always to bring us through our grief through our sorrow, through our suffering, to a deeper place of trust and confidence. That the goal is not to leave us processing our grief in, you know, incessantly without any, any change, but rather to move us through, to make a connection, to bring us to a deeper place, a greater confidence, a more sure hope. And of course, with that as the goal, certainly Satan doesn't want us to lament biblically. And so as we talk about these things and we walk through some of these principles, we want to keep in mind that the goal is not just therapeutic. The goal is not just cathartic. The goal is actually connection. The goal is to bring us to God, to, to bring us to a more Christ-centered worship, to bring us to the truth, to, to open our eyes to who God is and, and, and his work in, his, in, in our lives together. And so we come here to this, and the first element that strikes us in Psalm 22, the very first words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what we find in biblical, in, in biblical lamentations is that there's a crying out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the first thing that we want to observe about the nature of biblical lament is that it is an act of faith. It is a turning to God in the crisis. And it's acknowledging and embracing and laying hold of the fact that we have a personal relationship with the God of the universe. The Psalm that David writes, he begins, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There is a personal relationship. Verse 2, oh, my God. I cry by day. It reminds us of all of those precious Psalms where there is not a detached observation about God, that he is the shepherd, but that the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. There was a dear old brother at the chapel in Tenafly, Brother Tom Young, some of you might remember Tom Young. He was an elder there for many years. And, and he, frequently, it would be every year, several times a year, he would get up and read from Psalm 23. It was his favorite psalm. And he would always make this observation. It was like every Sunday, we would, he'd get up and make this observation. And he would say, the Lord is my shepherd. Those five words, right? Those five words. And he'd say, what is the most important word in that sentence? And he'd say, the little word, my. The Lord is my shepherd. And you see, when we, when we, when we come to a biblical lament, the first thing that we do in that lament is we cry out to God. 
we cry out to God, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my light and salvation. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that we grieve, but when we grieve, we should not grieve as those who have no hope. Why does Paul say that we do not sorrow, we do not grieve as those who have no hope? Is it because we know the end of the story? Is that the reason why? Or is it because we know the God of hope? You see, even if we didn't know the end of the story, even if we didn't have the book of Revelation, even if we didn't know that in the end, as the modern songwriter says, we win, we would still know the God of hope. And so when we look at lamenting and we think about what it means to lament, the first thing that we want to recognize is that it's a crying out to God. But it's not crying out to God as some impersonal deity who's out there. It's a crying out to the God that we have come to know through Jesus Christ. But the second element follows the first very closely. And that is that not only is it a crying out to God, it is a complaining to God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And of course, if we connect this to the cross, what we see here is this excruciating pain that Jesus is in. Jesus has gone through an enormous amount of suffering already, right? Think about this for just a moment with me. He has already suffered the betrayal of Judas. He has already suffered the abandonment by the disciples. He's already suffered an unjust trial where he was mocked and beaten. He's already suffered at the hands of the Roman soldiers where he's been scourged. He's already suffered the denial of Peter. He's already suffered the nails being driven into his hands and into his feet. And throughout that suffering, what has been his experience? Silence. There is no complaint. But on the cross, out of the cross, he cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And of course, the word excruciating literally means out of the cross. When you are in excruciating pain, you are tying into the experience of Jesus on the cross. X, out of cruce, the cross, out of the cross, you're experiencing this pain. And you complain to God, my God, my God, why? And of course, this experience is so painful because it is God who Jesus is saying has forsaken him. The one who is his father, the one who has sent him on this mission. And of course, we're left with that. How did God forsake Jesus? And of course, that brings us to another issue, right? This question of why. This question of why. It's, it's, it's an interesting question that Jesus asks. Because what it reveals to us is that there was a there was a reason why Jesus said this and 
there was a reason that he was experiencing something here that is beyond our comprehension. But what we need to understand is that 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 God was forsaking Jesus in a specific way for a specific purpose. Now, there have been many times when we might have felt forsaken. And of course, we know right away, you know, we're referred to Hebrews where it says that God has sworn by himself that he has promised that he would never leave us nor forsake us. And of course, we understand the strength of that promise is because he will never forsake us because in a very real sense, Jesus was forsaken on our behalf. But the question of why and the pain that we experience often is a question we're told not to ask. It's interesting as I was growing up in the chapel and as I, you know, gone to like, uh, there were times when, you know, whenever the chapel door was open, I was there. It didn't matter. Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, Wednesday night prayer meeting. Whenever the chapel was there, it was open. I was there. And there were lots of messages I heard about suffering over the years. But one of the one of the things that always came out was uh, this idea that as Christians, we're not supposed to ask the question why. Right? Like people say, you shouldn't ask why. You should ask rather, why not? Or instead of asking why, we should be asking what? Or if we're asking why, we're demonstrating a lack of faith. Or people have said to me, I know, people have said this to me, I know I shouldn't ask why. But the interesting thing about this is that the question why is asked over and over again in the Bible. Over and over again in the book of the Psalms, the question why is asked. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? I said to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? Awake, Lord. Why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? Just a sample of the Psalms where the question why is asked. There are other lament questions that we ask. How? How long, O Lord? My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? You know, even in our hymnody, it kind of slips in, right? Oh, Lord Jesus, how long, how long ere we shout the glad song? That's a lament. And you see, the question of how and why and the idea of complaining to God and bringing our complaint to God, the whole purpose of it is to move us from the question of how and why to the question of who. For example, in Psalm 10, 14, it begins, why, Lord, do you stand far off? 
Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? But verse 14 in the same Psalm says, but you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. You see, the questions we ask do not intimidate God. The questions that we ask are not questions that God can't handle. When we cry out to God and bring our complaints to him, he wants us to do that. He wants us to come. The Psalms are full of the expression of sorrow and grief and uncertainty and doubt that is directed toward God. And God wants us to direct it toward him. But I have a theory about this. And this is, I'm calling it the uncomfortable truth about complaining. And this is it. We would rather complain to other people than complain to God. We would rather complain to other people than complain to God. For example, brother enters my living room, sits down with me, full of anger and sorrow and grief, and pours out all of this spiritual bile into my lap. Why is God doing this to me? How could God let this happen? Why do I have to feel this way? How long is this going to go on? Why can't I get deliverance? Why won't God answer my prayers? Now, as we're going to look at hopefully in a minute, there is a place to listen and a place to be gentle in that scenario. But what I said to this brother is pour out your heart to the Lord. All of these questions, all of these doubts, all these years, you can tell them to me. I'll listen. But listen, God is bigger than me. And there's nothing you can say. There's no emotion you can experience. There's nothing that you can say to God that's going to surprise him, that's going to shock him, that's going to. But as long as you're not talking to him, you're not moving through the grief. Listen, we would rather complain to each other than God. You, you know, that's why sometimes we're a little we're like, we're kind of like, oh, you know, it's really bad. It's a sin to complain. You know, we shouldn't complain. Really? Because we complain all the time to each other. We just don't complain to God. You look at the book of Numbers. You look at Exodus, right? The people complain. Who did they complain to? They complained to Moses. They complained to each other. They complained to Aaron. Who did Moses complain to? He complained to God. Who got their prayers answered? Moses. You see, it's not, it's not so much the complaining that's the problem. It's who we complain to. Our complaining to one another is an act of unbelief. It's an act of disbelief. We're not complaining to God because in our hearts, A, we either don't think he's going to do anything about it, 
or B, we don't want them to, and we just like being miserable. Imagine how different our lives would be if we reduce the amount of complaints we have about the elders, about the chapel, about um, our jobs, about our wives, about our husbands, about our children. And if we stopped complaining to each other and said the very same complaints to God. I'm not saying don't complain. I'm saying take those very same complaints to God. Oh, my children, never call me. God, my God, my children never call me. Oh, the elders, they never listen. God, my God, the elders do not listen. You see, there's a profound difference. And of course, we're told in the scriptures, we're commanded the scriptures, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Say la. Think about this. You know, sometimes we look at ourselves and we look at what's in our hearts. And I know this. I know this is true for myself. I think my feelings are so dark. My heart is so sinful. My, my emotions are so raw and, and really out of control. How could I possibly say this to God? Well, listen to what John wrote. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. And he knows everything. So all those feelings I'm feeling, whether they're sinful or not, whether my thinking is completely stinking, as they say sometimes, whether my entire my entire world is upside down and backwards. Do I really think God doesn't know it? Do I really think that God can't handle it? If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. And so the second element is literally a com- bringing our complaint to God, whatever it is. And then the third element of lament is calling for help. In Psalm twenty-two, eleven, be not far from me, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Be not far from me. Trouble is near and there is none to help. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 19, but you, O Lord, be not far off. O you, my help, hasten to my assistance. There is a direct prayer that corresponds to the complaint. And so in that loss, in that sorrow, in that grief, we go to God and we call for help. A lot of times I'm afraid and I fear that we we want to kind of get our emotions under control and box them up and hide them. And then we ask God for some generic answer or some generic request. But as the author of the book makes a great observation, there's no restoration for those who deny. There's no restoration in denial. But it's not just crying out to God. It's not just bringing our complaint to God. It's not just calling for help from God. But there's also in biblical amend a confidence that is expressed in the Lord. 
There's a confidence that's expressed in the Lord. Verse 22 of Psalm 22, I will tell of your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. How do we move to that confidence? Well, there's lots of things that we do. And it's part of the lament. We rehearse the promises of God. We speak truth to our souls. One of the things that I have to remind myself often is that my feelings do not necessarily reflect reality. And I preach the gospel to myself. And I allow lamenting to lead me to worship. The hymn writer says, child of my love, fear not the unknown morrow. Dread not the new demand life makes on thee. Your lack of knowledge holds no cause for sorrow. Since what you know not is known to me. We express our hope. We express our confidence. We trust in the one who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. There is so much more that we could say about this. There is so much more we could explore. We could explore, for example, how we lament together in small groups, how we could be in those situations present with others, rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep, that we could be gentle and lead in lament. That as a corporate body, there is a place for lamenting. That there should be in our corporate prayer times of lament. Whether it be lament over our own our sin, or whether it be because of local news or local headlines or national news or national headlines. There needs to be a, a heart larger that embraces these things and not insulates and isolates ourselves from these sorrows. That Christians, as the author writes, can enter the rubble of life and even lead in lament because we know the rest of the story. We can open our hearts, our voices, our homes to people who desperately want restoration, but have no idea where to find it. Dark clouds can yield deep mercy as lament leads us to Christ. I conclude with this quote. The historic minor key of lament gives us permission to vocalize our pain while moving us toward God-centered worship. It is an act of faith as we turn to God, lay out our complaints, ask God to keep his promises, and reaffirm our trust in him. Lament is more than tears and crying. To cry is human, but to lament is Christian. It is how we tunnel our way to hope. The liturgy of loss expands our view beyond our personal struggles and painful experiences. It invites us to ponder the brokenness of life, the source of hope, the problem of misplaced trust, and even the role of Christians as guides through the darkness of grief. Lament is how we tunnel our way to the truth. Let us pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you that we can spend this time with one another, meditating together on these great truths of your word and on Psalm 22. Lord Jesus, we're in awe that you would enter into such sorrow, 
such grief, such anguish of heart on our behalf, that that salvation that we sung about today, that it would be vast and full and free because of the depth of your sorrow, because of the price that you would pay to the extent that you would go to redeem yourself a people. Lord Jesus, we worship you. We bow in your presence. We thank you, God, for the freedom to vocalize our pain, to cry out to you, our God, knowing that you are not an absentee watchmaker, that you're not distant and removed, but you have entered into the mess of our brokenness and have embraced us with open arms. And we praise you and thank you. In your own precious name, Lord Jesus, we give you glory. Amen.